Welcome, everyone, to the new episode of the Truth and Rally podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Roman, reporting in the middle of nowhere. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't watched wrestling in the past five to ten years, things got interesting this past weekend. AEW had in an event called All Out. And one of the things that Tony Khan and AEW do differently versus WWE is post event events Tony Khan basically has like a press conference post the event and the wrestlers that wrestled get to go out there and get to answer questions from I think podcasters more than journalists but long story short they talk they talk about the match they talk about what's going to happen in the future etc and so forth and it was interesting to see to see that Tony Khan was doing something different I actually liked it because podcasts have grown. Um, it just seems like every few months, another celebrity, sports announcer, comedian, actor, or whoever is starting a new podcast. So, and, and wrestling fans are, are crazy because, let's be realistic, if you're a wrestling fan, sometimes we kill events for these wrestling promotions because we post too many things on social media that tend to give a black eye to their wrestling, um, to WWE or AEW or Impact or Ring of Honor or Japan. They reveal things that sometimes maybe shouldn't be revealed that will possibly make their event for the fans that are in the arena and for the fans that are watching on TV even more special because we didn't know that these things were going to happen but social media in its own way basically uh, showed um, social media basically sometimes hurts their events by revealing what they revealed. And it's sometimes shocking when certain wrestlers come back and no social media had it. And they were able to surprise everyone. But what happened this past week in All Out Sunday was CM Punk just won his second AEW Championship versus John Moxley. A match at first that didn't seem like was going to happen because CM Punk got hurt and then he said he, he is going to wrestle and he gave this whole big thing where he went into the stands in Chicago and says he is Chicago. You can't, you know, it was a great impactful uh, promo for CM Punk who never really, who never fails when he gets a mic on his, in, in his hands. He never fails. And again, this Sunday, after All Out, and after his match where he, he bled, CM Punk did not fill again with the mic. He wanted, I don't know if he, I don't know how the issue got brought up, but CM Punk surely was entertained to answer the question or talk about the situation that happened between him and Colt Cabana. Now, a couple weeks ago, there were social media, yet again, like I was talking just a few seconds ago, put out there that Coco Banner and CM Punk were, were both sued by a WWE doctor. And that supposedly CM Punk says that he was going to pay for the legal fees for Coco Banner and didn't. And like many of you who, who heard this, this situation and heard the money that was brought to the table for the legal fees for Coco Banner kind of looked at CM Punk, was angry at him. Why would he make a promise? Why would he say that he was going to do something 
and then leave his his friend out to dry. Well, CM Punk went into the went into the press conference and didn't even acknowledge him as Cole Cabana. He called him by his real name. Then he talked about the issue that happened eight years ago and says, "Wait a minute, whatever was brought out there to the light is wrong," as we were saying, because I have proof in emails that say that that show the conversations we had, and that that we both dropped. You know, in the conversations and that he, about a bank account that Cole Cabana had tied to his mother, and said uh, called um, and revealed what seeing uh, Cole Cabana's mother's name, and lo and behold, well, if CM Punk is telling the truth in terms of this situation, then I apologize and I'm sorry, Mr. CM Punk, for looking you uh, wrong after hearing that you promised to pay money, leave the legal fees, and then backed out for whatever reason. So then he talked about how he didn't play any, he didn't do anything in regards to Coco Banner. He doesn't care about Coco Banner and say, so on and so forth. Okay, that's great. If you didn't play a tribute to wrestling fans seeing less of Coco Banner after you signed with AEW, then you know what? You are off the hook in terms of that situation. Then he talked about EVP. Which was basically um, him talking about the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, who, who is a, the EVP, who is like the executive vice president, and said that they couldn't even manage a target and basically trashed them. They didn't say them, their name, but if you knew what EVP was, you knew that he was referenced them. Then he also referenced Adam Page and talked about a promo that was cut in the past a couple of weeks ago. That seemed to get personal. And after seeing this. It was like whoa this is big. He he didn't fail. You wanted a press conference where he got your attention. And he made you want want you to hear him speak. You know talk more. And, and et cetera and so forth. CM Punk delivered. But we didn't expect. Was that after he was on the mic. And answered these questions right next to Tony Khan. That he was going to go in the background. To the locker room. And that. Guys like the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, and others, and CM Punk had an altercation. Where now legal fees are supposedly brought to the table. And supposedly there's a, you know, um, people are angry more at CM Punk than they do look at CM, um, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. To the point where suspensions were supposedly put out there for people who were involved in the situation this past Sunday. But CM Punk didn't get a result. He wasn't suspended. He wasn't fired. He was injured during his match during John Moxley, where now it seems like he's going to miss six to eight months of wrestling. So basically, he didn't get suspended. He got hurt. And that's why he's not going to be a champion for the next six to eight months. And in some ways, do you really want to see him... Uh, uh, um, do you really want to see him compete for a championship yet again? Two times in one year, he wins the title and gets hurt after he wins the title, which he's gone and has to vacate the title. So he didn't really lose anything. At least it hasn't been revealed yet. Some people were saying he was, there was a chance that he was going to be retired, but he wasn't retired. The Young Bucks and, and Kenny Omega are, and they had to vacate their, their titles that they won on, in All Out. 
Now they faced they faced a verdict for their actions. Well, CM Punk gets to have surgery, go leave for the next six to eight months, and basically do what he wants. Now, looking at this situation, everything kind of falls on the shoulders of Tony Khan. And I've been mentioning, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about how he was compared to Paul Heyman and seeing this situation and seeing how this, this has unfolded. Um, and this makes me laugh because, man, this is nothing that would have happened to Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman, first of all, didn't have a problem in less than three years after being in charge of ECW. ECW, like I've said in the past, it's not around right now because it didn't want to be around. It was because Paul Heyman didn't have the billions that WCW and WWE had. So because of that, Paul Heyman never held back any wrestlers from going to make money, either with WCW or WWE. He never did. He allowed them to go and leave ECW, which in the end hurt ECW. Because once these guys leave and these guys, you know, brought in ratings, brought in profit for ECW. You know, you would want, once you take a talent, if we don't have the, a guy with equal talent coming in to help with the viewership, to help with, uh, with, with paying bills and all that, then you lose. But that's, this is why it's funny because Tony Khan did this to himself in regards to in regards to what happened this past Sunday. The idea that he had the post-conference and did something new, because it is new what he's doing after events, by having the wrestlers go go back and ask questions about what they experienced during their event and what's going to happen in the future and more. It's new. It's different. It's not something that WWE does. So the idea that he was doing it at first looked good. But, ladies and gentlemen, we have to put this into, into perspective. If this post-match, post-event conference did not happen, is there a fight between Kenny Omega, Young Bucks, Ace Steel, CM Punk, and others? Do we hear about Cole Cabana and CM Punk's issue yet again? Do we hear about Hangman, uh, Adam Hangman Page situation with Punk and how CM Punk doesn't like him? Would we have experienced that? No. I think what we would have experienced was CM Punk would have had to come into Dynamite and talk to fans and say how he had to vacate the, the title yet again due to an injury. But it's crazy because if that post conference didn't happen, the thing that would have had fans salivating for this, uh, for yesterday, this past AEW Dynamite, was the fact that MJF was back in AEW. And now we wanted to hear what does he have to say. Now, listen, yesterday if you watched the AEW Dynamite, he had a great entrance and how he approached the beginning and him talking, you know. But John Moxley killed it, in my opinion. John Moxley came in midway after MGF was talking and basically told him, cut the cr excuse my turn, cut the crap. And just, we know you're lying, we know this, we know that. And like in seconds, MGF was back to who we knew he was. Wiped his butt on Josh Allen's um, jersey. 
and magically turned into the MGF that we already knew who, who existed the whole time. But I didn't like John Moxley coming because, ladies and gentlemen, I have to be frank, he killed it. He looked like a magician. Once he made that statement to MGF, he looked like a magician. He's, he's, you know, and he looked like he de-hypnotized MGF by saying, stop acting like the way he was. And then MGF was magically, you know, back to who he was. So I didn't like that. Then there was a trio championship match that had to happen because the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega were no longer the title holders for that belt. So Butch Cassidy and Best Friends versus the, uh, the Death Triangle. Now this matched quickly was good and quickly failed at the same time. Now, I, 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 the reason why I say it quickly failed is there has to be a flow in a match, right? There can't be no hesitation. You can't have a guy bent over looking like he's dizzy and then try to punch and then have a chance to punch him right then or do some kind of move right then and there and respond. But you wait two minutes to respond to do that next move. That doesn't look good. That ruins the flow. It hurts the story that you're trying to put there in the ring. And it loses my attention. And I saw that several times in this match. There was a match where like all three guys got kicked by the Death Triangle. And the Death Triangle didn't respond right away. So it looked stupid. Best friends and Arn Cassie looked stupid. Then there was a referee was a pulse attack. And it basically felt like he waited 20 seconds before he responded. Which it almost felt like, wait, what's happening here? Is he... With the death triangle, and that's why he's not responding right away. Why is he responding so slow? Why does he look so hesitant? Is he nervous? Is he scared? What's happening? And as I watch the match, when I watch AEW matches, sometimes I'm astonished and I'm amazed. And then sometimes when I see the matches where moves tend to fail more times in, in AEW versus WWE. And it for a fan like me, it makes me believe, is it because... A lot of the wrestlers that are part of AEW don't tour. Some do have matches outside of AEW, like FTR seems to be busy all the time. But sometimes a lot of other wrestlers aren't. And they botch. It's a word that Chris Jericho says he doesn't like. Listen, when we see it as fans, it's messed up. There's one thing to see wrestlers you know it's one thing for wrestlers to know that another wrestler didn't put the hand in the right position and they make the, the move look bad or they don't like how the guy sold a move or more but the idea of a fan sees certain things it's even worse and it's crazy how how all these things are happening with AEW you know something has to be fixed I've said in the past this whole having like three or four events in one day and then magically showing it in, in three different days has to end. It really does. I mean, I don't know if anyone is bothered by this or if it's just me. But the idea that three events that are going to air in three different days is filmed all in one day. And fans are supposed to act shocked like it, it didn't, you know, that it's new and fresh when they see it on TV. When the, when the truth is it's not fresh. And the reality is social media has actually hurt this whole experience because it revealed what happened 
You know, I don't want to see see AEW fold and fail. I wanted to see it succeed. I want to see CM Punk think about what he said this past Sunday and apologize and try to create peace and try to be a team player. I want to see that. But we'll see what happens. So this past week, this past Saturday, WWE had the Clash of Castle, which was in Wales in Europe. And it was a great event. The crowd was loud. The crowd was very involved. The matches were great. And this past Saturday Mar uh, was 30 years anniversary of the British Bulldog versus Bret Hart in Wales, where the British Bulldog defeated Bret the Hitman Hart for the Intercontinental Championship. Great. It was a great match. I loved it. You know, um, I would even say that I would want WWE to do more events in Wales. Not all the time, but do something where they always experience that because seeing fans get as loud as they were and get involved like the Wales uh, fans were, it was amazing. But ladies and gentlemen, after all the matches were great, we had to watch Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre. And at first, when you watched the match, you, you know, you didn't see the Usos, you didn't see um, Paul Heyman, you didn't see anyone come with Roman Reigns. You saw Roman Reigns come down the aisle and basically come alone. And you kind of felt, man, okay, now we have a match. Because if no one interferes, and Roman Reigns doesn't cheat, and he has a great match, like he has been, he has been, I can't lie, Roman Reigns has had great matches versus every wrestler he has had. Since he's been champion. But the result is always the same. Because just when the, the match was great the whole time. The Usos younger brother Fatu. I think that's his name. From NXT. Interfered. Which in the end. Aided Roman Reigns. Which in the end. Let Roman Reigns win yet again. Now the funny thing that happened in between. Was Austin Theory thought he had an opportunity. And chance to cash in the money in the bank. While he was giving it the briefcase to a referee, Tyson Fury, former uh, um, a boxing legend, a uh, boxing champion, uh, punched Austin Theory once he saw Austin Theory come down the aisle and try to cash it in. But it was a great event. The only thing that was a little awkward in the end was Tyson Fury and, and Drew McIntyre were singing to each other and with each other, which was awkward. You know, um, another negative was. Why was Killian Cross there during the match between Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns and he didn't interfere? Why, you know, what, what was the whole point of having him there and not being involved in the match? But ladies and gentlemen, like I said in the past, I don't want to watch another Roman Reigns event. After seeing what happened this past Sunday, it just feels like we're going to see the same thing yet again and again and again. And supposedly right now, ladies and gentlemen, Roman Reigns is not going to be on TV or he's going to have less matches and this and that. It's like, oh my God, really? But same results to another great match that, that could have been left alone. Great match. I don't like interference, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, there's one thing if the wrestler's by himself and he does his own little thing that's cheating, but that plays a part of his character, and that's why I like it. But when other wrestlers get involved, it's a different story, in my opinion. Because you almost always see... The guy who gets aided by other wrestlers 
always in the match. And in regards to Roman Reigns, he wins every match, every match, when interference is on his side. Let's just be realistic. But Triple H has done great for WWE since he's got in control. He supposedly got promoted again. Supposedly, Road Dogg is back and Shawn Michaels got promoted. Supposedly, today they hired a guy from the, um, from the Las Vegas Raiders to to join their executive office branch or whatever. And so it's great to see it's great to see WWE change and hearing the, that fans and former wrestlers are happy with what they're experiencing on TV. So off to wrestling. I mean off to to Major League Baseball. Both Yankees and Mets have struggled the past 10 games where they saw their lead for over uh, the Rays and the Braves shrink. Now, Atlanta is closer in terms of trying to take the lead over the Mets, while the Yankees still have over three games, over four games lead. This past Wednesday, they both had a doubleheader where it aided them versus hurting them. The Mets are still only a half a game over Atlanta. But, man, could it be... Could it be that the team, the two teams that were the, probably the most dominating teams for majority of the season, Mets and Yankees, be both teams that lose their their chance. I mean, lose their chance, lose their spot as the top team in the division, and basically uh, struggle in September and lose the first place, uh, and not be in first place when the season ends. Wouldn't that be kind of crazy? I mean, it's already crazy that at one time, the Brewers looked like one of the best teams in Major League Baseball, and then quickly are now looking like a team that's trying to uh, get back in the race. I mean, they're still in the race, but they don't lead the wild card. They don't lead the division. And as of right now, they look like outsiders looking in. But let's talk about football. Another week, I got to talk about two two divisions this week um, in the NFL um, in order to end this whole preview I have for these teams and et cetera and so forth. So let's get into it. So NFC South. So NFC South is an interesting division because to me, it's Brady is the only quarterback you can trust in this division. Let's just be realistic. Jameis Winston had a great touchdown to ratio um, before getting injured. But let's be realistic. His his touchdown to interception ratio has never looked like the way it looked like last year during the seven games he played for the New Orleans Saints. So the idea that, that there's no guarantee that he could repeat that, especially with Sean Payne being gone, is kind of crazy to think, you know, it's hard to, to trust him, but what I'm trying to say, that he could repeat that. Baker Mayfield loses the, the locker room in Browns to the point where the Browns traded for Deshaun Watson. So now Baker Mayfield has to be traded. It took some time before he got traded to the Panthers, but now he's with the Panthers. So now he's starting new, which is good. And Marcus Mariota. So Matt Ryan leaves Atlanta in a trade from Atlanta, which took him from Atlanta to the Indianapolis Colts because it was supposed, supposedly that Atlanta was trying to get Deshaun Watson but failed and lost to the Browns in terms of the whole Deshaun Watson um, sweepstakes. So now Marcus Mariota, ladies and gentlemen, Marcus Mariota, in the past three seasons, has only started six games. 
in the past three seasons, and yet he is the replacement out of a team that kind of exceeded expectation. I don't think anyone looked at the Atlanta Falcons uh, in tw- before the twenty twenty before the twenty twenty one season and thought that they were a playoff team, not a playoff team, that they were going to be a team that was going to get seven wins, and yet they did. But now Marcus Mariota, a guy who hasn't started more than six games the past three seasons, is the new quarterback, starting quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons. So who's in fourth place? Who do I believe is going to be in fourth place in the NFC South? Well, so who's, and I think by default, I'm going to put the Falcons. I, I'm, I'm always looking at the quarterback situation as a situation that's either going to help a team exceed expectation or drag a team back if the guy's incompetent in terms of being a quarterback. But they're doing the right thing in terms of who, the, who they got this past uh, offseason. You know, uh, Calvin Retley got to spend it for a year for betting for a game in the NFL last season. So the Atlanta Falcons were able to draft Drake London and trade for Brian Edwards in replacement for Calvin Redley, which is a good, good replacement. You know, Drake London is a big body. Brian Edwards wasn't the greatest rate receiver for the Raiders last season, but he did have over 500 uh, yards receiving. And Pitts was amazing. So you, you put those factors together. Looks great, but the idea that Marcus Mariota is the is the quarterback is a thing that just hurts my eye. I don't have confidence in him, and I feel that that's going to hurt them. I mean, it could easily be that if Marcus Mariota is not great or average or just good in the first six to eight games, we will see Desmond Ryder, Reader, whatever his name is, rookie quarterback, uh, be the new starting quarterback of the Falcons. Now, the defense looks strong. Getting Casey Hayward, Lorenzo Carter, and others, you know, the defense looks good. No, it looks improved. And, you know, one thing I'm going to say about besides the quarterback situation, they're adding pieces in terms of improvement. And they're in true rebuild mode. It's truly going to be this thing for, for the land to where they're going to basically improve, but... It's going to take some time before they get back to the promised land. And the promised land for the NFL, uh, for them will be just making the playoffs and being over 500. So in fourth place, the Atlanta Falcons. So who's in third place? Now, looking at the team, looking at the Panthers, you know, last year I thought that they were going to be a better team and they weren't. But they're the biggest what-if team. Because last season, they saw Christian McCaffrey get hurt and miss 10 games. And they also saw that when Christian McCaffrey played, which was seven games, that they went four and three versus one and nine when he was not playing. It seemed that making the offensive line get stronger and better was one of the focus they got about. They they drafted uh, one tackle and got about and and signed other offensive linemen to help and try to improve this offensive line. Baker Mayfield is their new quarterback. You know he's not. Great, but he is better than Cam Newton, and he is more durable than Sam Donald, who just seems to get injured all the time. But lo and behold, again, the quarterback situation is is an, uh, an topic for the Panthers. Didn't Baker Mayfield win the starting gig in the Panthers, or did he get lucky? 
Carolina drafted Matt Corral. Matt Corral's hurt and injured. He's not going to be available for the whole season. Then Sam Donald got hurt yet again. The two guys who basically could have dethroned or hurt the chances of Baker Mayfield got hurt, which basically gave Baker Mayfield the chance and opportunity to be the starting quarterback of the Panthers. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of team this team is. You know, can this team exist without Chris, Christian McCaffrey if he gets hurt again? Can this team, can Robbie Anderson, who didn't look like Robbie Anderson last year, return to who he was the first season with the Panthers? Can we see guys like Marshall um, get better? Can we see, you know, what are we going to see with the Panthers? If everyone plays in healthy, this could be a team that's going to shock a lot of people. Or another disappointing team by another team that took a chance on a college coach who did great in the programs that he did in college and Matt Rowell. Hopefully I'm saying his name right. You know, we'll see what happens in, re in regards of the Panthers. But as of right now, because they're somewhat of a what-if team, I put them in third place. And the Saints. Another offseason, another New Orleans Saints legend has retired or left the team. The guy who's left, Sean Payton, is gone from gone and stepping away from the NFL. He may come back in the next couple of years. We'll see if that happens. But will the team suffer? You know, the other question is, James Winston came in last year after seven games playing. He had 14 touchdowns and three interceptions, which was amazing. And this is, he did all this without Michael Thomas on the team. Now, Michael Thomas is coming back. The question of the day is with Thomas, with Jarvis Landry, with Chris Orville from Ohio State, and with Alvin Kamara, can Winston continue the success that he had last year for the seven games that he played for the Saints, or will he go back into what he was with Tampa Bay, which is a turnover machine? But it'll be interesting to see what happens if Jameis Winston is there, uh, it does have a great season, is healthy, watch out for the Saints. But as of right now, because he doesn't have a track record of having the touchdown interception ratio that he has, I put into question if we're going to see the same player that we saw last year in this season until I see him play. The defense looks amazing. The defense looks strong. I, as of right now, this is a team that could probably be average, you know, maybe a 9-8 team to a team that could possibly be 11-7, depending on how... Jameis Winston plays this upcoming season. And in first place, by default, and because they have a legend and icon in Tom Brady, is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Even at 45, Tom Brady is life's year better than a Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, and Baker Mayfield. Even at 45. Some people are saying that he may miss Gronk. But if you look at the receiving crew that he has in the Buccaneers with Julio Jones, Russell Gage, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, uh, Chris Bratt, and, um, and Rudolph at tight end, he has a lot of weapons. So I don't think he's really going to miss Grunk, even though Grunk was very dependable in terms of catching the ball over the middle. Defense looks strong. You know, the question is, is Todd Bowles, is Todd Bowles capable of carrying the torch and continuing the success that Bruce Arians had as head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All will pressure and his inexperience as being a successful coach 
in the NFL ultimately hurt him and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But at the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, the Buccaneers will win the NFC South, followed by the Saints, the Panthers in third place, and in fourth place, the Falcons. Now let's talk about the NFC West. So last team, we saw three teams from the NFC West make the playoffs, and one won the Super Bowl. Now this is a team that has loyalty problems in terms of its quarterbacks. San Francisco is said to be moving on from Jimmy G in order to uh, allow Trey Lawrence, Trey Lance, to have his chance as a new starter for the 49ers. Russell Wilson, who led the Seattle Seahawks to two Super Bowls, is now traded to the Broncos. Arizona will suffer because their elite wide receiver in DeAndre uh, Hopkins will be suspended for the first six games of the season. However, they should be all right. And the Ravens, who won the Super Bowl, seem to be the best team yet again in this division. But the question of the day, are they the best? So who wins the division? So in fourth place by default, again, the quarterback situation is the reason why I pick this team to fail like I picked the other teams to fail. And it's the quarterback situation. Drew Luck and Geno Smith are the two quarterbacks that went into the season, into preseason, uh, competing with each other. Who would be the starting quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks? And Geno Smith has won. I mean, and the more I look at Seattle, Seattle is an example of a team that didn't prepare well for guys to leave or to retire. And because of that, they're going to, they're going to fail the Seattle Seahawks fans because they had the Legion of Boom, but you have to realize these guys are either going to retire or leave because of free agency. Our salary cap will be an issue. So who are you drafting to learn from these guys so that if these guys leave, you guys are okay? I'm always in that mindset that you got to be ready for guys to leave and retire. If you do that, you should always be okay. But if you don't do that, you will always suffer. And I think that they allowed the, the Legion of Boom to get bad. They allowed their pass rush to get bad. Get bad. Um, they allowed their O-line that was good when they made the Super Bowl get bad. And et cetera and so forth. Now, Drew Luck, Geno Smith, or the starting quarterback, are going to be the, the, the two options. I mean, oh my God, this team looks like it's in rebuild mode. I mean, I'm shocked that DJ Metcliff signed a contract to start to stay in Seattle, I would have wanted to leave because it's going to be a long time before we even see them. I mean, Car- uh, Pete Carroll is not no, it's not a spring chicken. He doesn't have another five seasons or six seasons to deal with the stress of a rebuilding team. He may retire in the next two years because it's too stressful at his age to try to do a rebuild in, in rebuilding a team. So who's in third place? Well, in third place... I'm going to pick the, the Cardinals, not because I think they're the, th- the third-place team in the division, but because I think the DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins injury is going to hurt the Cardinals because it's six games they think would not be with them. But at the same time, the defense also is going to struggle because Chandler Jones is gone. But lo and behold, ladies and gentlemen, don't sleep on the Cardinals. The Cardinals could be one of those great teams in the last eight games of the season, they could possibly even be the most dangerous team going into the playoffs. They got Brown from the Ravens, who got his first receiving 1,000K of receiving yards last year for the Baltimore Ravens. You add 
AJ um, uh, AJ Brown AJ Brown and Harpkins into the mix with Zach Ertz. I mean, this offense is going to look amazing. DeAndre Harpkins coming back after six games is going to be even better for this team. So they're going to be in third place only because of the suspension, but not by a lot. The 49ers. So the 49ers last year won two playoff games against Green Bay Packers and against the Cowboys. <clears throat> but uh, quickly saying they don't care what Jimmy Garoppolo has done for them. They want Trey Lance to be the start of this upcoming season. And it's kind of crazy. A guy that has started 47 games in the NFL, who's 33 and 14 in his career as a starting quarterback in the NFL, and that the 49ers are automatically, once they give him the big contract, automatically thinking this is not the guy of the future. We messed up. We have to get Trey Lance to be our new Patrick Mahomes, uh, the younger version of Patrick Mahomes, and move on from Jimmy G. This is crazy. A guy who's 33 and, f- and 33 and 14 in 47 games starting in the NFL, and now he's made to be a backup. I mean, either this isn't a workout in favor of the 49ers, and the defense is still going to be good, and the rushing game is still going to be great, or this will quickly be a problem for the 49ers, and Jimmy G is going to have to start yet again for the 49ers and try to help them back in getting back into the playoffs. But the Rams win again this division. They win again because they trade away Robert Woods. They know that Odell Beckham Jr. was hurt. And somehow, they were able to get Allen Robinson, who's a good quarterback, to be and back a Cooper Cup as the number two wide receiver in the Rams. They're still holding out for Odell Beckham Jr. to potentially come back. They still supposedly have a locker room for him, ready for him to come back. But it's crazy that they were able to get Allen Robinson. And then on top of that, now they have Bobby Wagner on the team. And they took him away. They basically signed him after Seattle had released uh, Bobby Wagner. And the idea that they have three elite guys on the, on the defense who are great leaders, who can motivate the team, is crazy. Think about this. Aaron Donald, Bobby Wagner, and Ramsey are three elite defense players on this team. I mean, this makes this team look amazing. And the idea that Odell Beckham Jr. could possibly come back and be an option for the Rams is just makes this, this Rams team very scary, in my, in my opinion. So I have, ladies and gentlemen, Seahawks in fourth place. In third place, the Cardinals. In second place, the 49ers. And in first place, the Los Angeles Rams. So who who is going to make the Super Bowl? I think, ladies and gentlemen, I'm still on that high of Joe Burrow. I look at Joe Burrow and what he did with the Bengals last year in the back of a poor offensive line and was astonished and amazed at how he was able to do all the things he was able to do in back of a poor offensive line when other guys tend to fail, when other guys tend to not able to do anything consistently good in back of a bad old line, and yet he just seemed to get better as the, as the season went on. To this season, having three new guys that makes this offensive line look 10 times better than it did last year, 
So it leads me to believe, man, if he was amazing last year, what is he going to do with an elite offensive line? How much better can the Bengals be? Will the Bengals be so much better that they destroy the Rams and, and basically beat him? Would Joe Burrow get hurt in the Super Bowl if he had an elite offensive line or the offensive line he's going into the season with? I don't know, but man, I, I just, I don't know. I kind of feel that they have a chance to do it. Some people say they may not be able to, but man, we'll see what happens. And the other team I feel that's going to make it to the Super Bowl, ladies and gentlemen, is it could be the Rams going back. It could be a repeat. I just, the idea that they have all these guys and the idea that Odell Beckham Jr. can come Maybe he comes halfway through the season, and he comes and he, and he and he makes an attempt to play again after being hurt in the Super Bowl, and the idea that he goes back to the Rams, it, and this the receiving core having three guys that are, are top twenty-five wide receivers in the NFL right now on their on in their receiving core is just astonishing and amazing. I, I don't see how they fail with with uh, the tandem of. Allen Robinson, Cooper Cup, and Odell Beckham Jr. Now, who wins? I don't know. But as of right now, it could be a repeat. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that is my episode. This is the Truth and Rally podcast. Remember, you could follow me on TikTok and Instagram. At tr- and uh, Truth and Rally is my profile names. Now, if you like to be made aware of when a new episode is available, just go on any of the podcast apps that you may like, look for the Truth and Rally podcast. If you look and you find the Truth and Rally podcast in any of these podcast apps, ladies and gentlemen, subscribe. And if you subscribe, you will always get a notification when a new episode will be available for your listening ears. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, have a good day and even better night. Bye-bye.